Father, that is our prayer today. That from the inside out, our soul would be focused on you. That we cry out and just give you the praise that you are due. The praise that you are worthy of. God, may it not just be words on a screen, but the prayer of our heart. We pray it in your name. Amen. Guys, you can be seated as you're seated. I'm going to dismiss our kids. And as I dismiss our kids out here over the door, you'll see Bailey over there is where we'll head that general direction. As they head on out, this is what I would like to do. I would like to get a feel for how many of you in this room potentially listen to Caleb. Caleb Radio, some of you in here do. It's 90.7 on your radio dial here in the Albuquerque area. And right now, they are doing their 40th anniversary or 40th birthday of being in existence. So what they're doing is they're playing songs right now from the last 40 years. Like this is the weekend that they're playing all the songs from the last 40 years. And as we drove down yesterday to the men's aromatherapy event, we had K-Love on. And as I was listening to it, some songs came on. I'm like, man, I remember when these songs are new. And immediately I felt old. In the process of feeling old, there was a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman that came on. And I remember my mom used to love to listen to Stephen Curtis Chapman, and we listened to it growing up, and the song More to This Life came on. And as I was listening to it, I began to have those reminiscent thoughts of, man, I, I remember this song. I remember when they used to do special music church. I know some churches still do, but they, that song was one of the ones that everybody wanted to sing in special music. More to this life than living and dying, more than just trying to make it through the day. And as I was thinking about that, I began to think about our message for today. As we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, I began to think about all of the things in this living this good life. That there's got to be more to this life than just living and dying. And I began to think about this living the good life. And I started to think about, as we move into Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, a question came to my mind. What makes this a good life? What defines success in your life? What is success? Now the answer to that question depends upon what you value in life. What you value in life. If you value fortune, well success is going to depend on the standard of living and the amount of money that you have. If you value fame, success is going to depend upon how many people know who you are. If success is found in power. And you value power. Success is determined by the number of people who are under your control. World's okay as boss. Here's the thing. Most people would define success by a combination of those three things. Most people would think it's a combination of four, fate, uh, sorry, fame, fortune, and power. And each of them varies in the amount but success in itself is still described in terms of those things. And even introverts would say that's where we'd find success. Because as we look at it, we still define success in terms of being the best or at least extremely good in our personal interests, in our personal hobbies, or whatever sport that we might be playing. An individual determines what success is by what he or she personally values. So that brings it down to a personal level. What is success to you? What is success to you? What do you personally value? I can tell you 
If you want a quick answer to know what you value, just ask where you put your time, your money, and your energy. Or as we say it here, your time, your talents, and your treasures. If you want to know what you success, or what you define as success, and what you define as values, the answers to those three questions of what do I put my time, or where do I put my time, where do I put my energy, and where do I put my money, will give you the answer that you are looking for. Now, as we begin to look at that, it's important, I think, to question what we value in life because I think it has eternal ramifications. What do you value in life? I know I asked you to open to Matthew chapter 6, but today I'm going to ask you also to jump over to Luke chapter 12 for me. Because Luke chapter 12 is a parable that Jesus gives that describes the importance of what we value in life. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21 Jesus really tells us the importance of seriously considering what we find important in life. This is what it says in verse 16. It'll be up here on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you today. It says, Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, What should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I will say to myself, You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That is how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. See, in this parable, this guy valued the things of this world. He found his success in the bigger and better things of this world, but he forgot about the fact that soon he'd be facing eternity. He prepared well for life on earth, but he failed to plan for that which is infinitely more important, and that is eternal life. That's the theme of today's text, found in Matthew chapter 6. What do you treasure? Who do you serve? And Where are you investing your time and your talent and your treasure? So I know I asked you to jump over to Luke 12. I'm going to have you jump back over to Luke chapter, or sorry, Matthew chapter 6. And as you do that, I want to help you get to where we are as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. As we've been going through it, Jesus has spent a considerable amount of time describing the nature of true righteousness and where it comes from, the heart. And a heart change in God himself. Now the characters of a righteous person were giving in the Beatitudes when he first started off in Matthew chapter 5. If you don't remember what those were, it started off with being poor in spirit and then mourning over sin and then being meek or, or having strength under control and then hungering and thirsting for righteousness, being merciful, being pure in heart. These are the things that, that describe a righteous person, being a peacemaker. And then Jesus goes on to say, because of those things in your life, the people who are unrighteous are not going to like you and they're going to persecute you. Those are the traits that should mark a person who calls themselves a Christian. Jesus compares the self-righteous teachings in the context of the scribes and the Pharisees and the rest of Matthew chapter 5 and then into the beginning of chapter 6. He's talking about these false teachers and how they've basically perverted the law of Moses to make it where they can lower the bar so they can meet the standard and feel good about themselves or call it self-righteousness. They cut out the spirit of the law and they narrowed it down to a point that they could clear that hurdle. These hypocrites, as Jesus called them, did exactly what hypocrites do. 
They acted out a false love for God. They, they acted out their, their devotion to God and their religious practices, but in reality, they were more concerned about what men thought of them about, than about what God got in return for glory and honor. Now, over the last few weeks, we've looked at how Jesus has exposed that hypocrisy in their giving, in their praying, and in their fasting. And all the religious practices they did towards others, the ones they did towards God, and even towards themselves, were about them. And Jesus calls them out. He says, here is your definition of fame and fortune and power. Your definition of success, and you have missed the mark of what a follower of Christ should be doing. So in Matthew 6, 19 through 24, Jesus deals with the idea of living this good life. Living it out. Our success, our priorities, and what we really, truly treasure. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And he does it by addressing something he's addressed throughout the Sermon on the Mount. The heart, the soul, and the will. Now he's done it throughout the Sermon on the Mount, but if you remember even last week as we prayed, those are specific things that he prays for. So it's a constant theme throughout this. Jesus wants us to have the right treasure. Jesus wants us to have the right devotion, and he wants us to have the right master. But we live in a world that has fallen. We live in a world that is broken, and because we live in a world that has fallen and broken, there is a constant spiritual battle that is going on. You see in Ephesians chapter 6, and you, you see the fact that, that we are under attack. And the one thing that I think the devil wants us to do is he wants us to invest in the wrong things the wrong treasure, the wrong devotion, and the wrong master. And I think that's incredibly important for us to come to the communion table today to remember. When we say we do this in remembrance of him and what he's done for us, well, he has pointed us and given us that good life. We need to remember that. Why it's important to live for him. Why it's important to do these things. But we'll get to that soon. First, let's get to our passage. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 24. Here's what it says. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. So, if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, since neither, either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray together. Father, as we dive into your word today, I pray that you speak to our hearts. I pray you speak to our minds. I pray you challenge us as we continue to become more like you and continue to live more like you. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm sure you're aware of this, but life is a series of choices and decisions that we make. It's a series of choices and decisions that we make. These decisions, they shape our character and they guide really where we end up in the future. With every fork in the road, we have to ask ourselves, what path will I take? Which path will I choose? Will I invest my time, my energy, and my money into either A or B? In the A, God. B, 
the world. A, right. B, wrong. A, light. B, darkness. A, eternal treasures. Or B, earthly treasures. Will we choose righteousness or will we choose unrighteousness? It's a series of choices in our life. That is what we get to choose from. They're tough questions with potentially eternal consequences. What will we choose to invest in? Well, what Jesus does in this passage is he simplifies it. And he simplifies it down to two choices. Either you're going to live for heaven or you're going to live for earth. Live for heaven or live for earth. That is the choice that we have. That is the choice that we have been given. And not that, that uh, Jesus has, has said, hey, you know, what we need to do is we have to now get down to the nitty-gritty and be matter-of-fact. Because pretty much throughout the Sermon on the Mount, he's got to that place. Either do this or do that. Well, here he lays it out, and he says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. This command is a right-now command. It is a right-now command. Beware of what you are living for right now. Not the future, not tomorrow, right now. And he says, don't be holding on to the things of this world as if they're the most precious things that there are. For those of you who just had a flashback to Lord of the Rings and my precious and the ring that is there, we have a tendency to do that same thing. To chase after something that is temporary. And to literally let our souls decay because of it. This is a right now command. He says, earthly treasures do not last. He doesn't specifically say it, but I think we all know it. All that stuff eventually ends up in a landfill, does it not? And if it doesn't end up in a landfill, we do. We are not eternal in this body. We are eternal in our souls. And as we begin to look at that, he says, hey, don't hold on to these things. Don't try and hold on to the things that, that are only going to get passed down from generation to generation, but eventually end up in a landfill or into an estate sale because somebody doesn't care about it. Don't chase after those things. The world and its stuff lacks longevity. And by the way, even the great things now, he says, somebody might actually come and steal it anyway. The stuff that hasn't lost its value yet, somebody may even still come in and steal it. So when we read this verse, he says, hey, this stuff is going to fade. And we tend to think of stuff, like the stuff that is going to end up at goodwill one way or another. But we also can't forget the amount of investment that we actually make into ourselves. That, that our bodies do and will break down. That, that our looks, well, most of you guys, our looks will fade and that's the truth of the matter. And the money and the accessories that go with it to try and make those things not happen or try and lift things that are falling or sagging or any of those kind of things like that, it doesn't matter as much as we think that it matters. And we put way too much time and way too much effort into it. And so Jesus says this in verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. Again, a right now statement. In our lives, right now, we should pursue heavenly treasure. That is where we should put our 
time and our energy and our money into first and foremost. I'm not saying we don't get to put our stuff and we're just going to live as, as hermits in some cave somewhere, but he says, make sure heavenly treasure is our priority, not earthly reward. Well, what does that look like? Well, if we think about the context as we dive into this and as we have throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what has Jesus been teaching on? He's been teaching on hypocrisy. He's been teaching on living a fake life. Don't be like the hypocrites who are living for an earthly reward even though they're trying to put a fake living on a heavenly one. Truly live for God. Live for Him. Our rewards only come from living for Him. If we go back into our Sermon on the Mount, He's already laid out multiple things. They said, this is where you're going to get your heavenly reward. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, He says, our heavenly rewards come from those who are suffering persecution for Jesus' sake. In Matthew 5, 46, He says, our rewards come from loving our enemies. He says in 6, 2 through 4, Giving generously without earthly fanfare will get you heavenly reward. 6, 5, and 6, praying sincerely, praying secretly, and praying specifically will get you your reward. 6, 16 through 18, fasting humbly will get you your reward. He's already laid it out for each and every one of us. And Jesus says, these are the things that are worth pursuing. These are the things worth investing in. These are the things worth treasuring because they are real and they are lasting. But do we do it? It's a struggle, isn't it? I told you there's a battle constantly. And we have to continually ask, right now, where is our treasure located? Where are we investing our life in? What things are we investing our life, our time, our energy, our money into? That leads us to an all-important statement that Jesus makes that probably most of us in this room have heard at least once if you grew up in church. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we've been talking about the heart the whole time. If you're treasuring the things of this world, your heart will be in this world. If you're treasuring the things of God, your heart belongs to God. Where is your heart? And really that's a summary of that Luke chapter 12 passage about building the bigger barns that I shared up front. If we store up treasures for ourselves on earth, then we will not be rich towards God or towards his mission. And we won't be rich in heaven either, is what that passage told us. If your heart is set on things of earth, you will be busy about the business of building up yourself here. If it is, once again, your fortune, where your fortune is going to go, or your finances are going to go into the things like large, bigger, and better. Whether that be your financial portfolios, or your house, or your cars, or your clothing, or your jewelry, or your vacations, or whatever thing that is here that we say I got to give to that it's got to be bigger and better than last year or whatever it might be we're all about that and not about what God called us to because I never saw any of that in the great commission I never saw any of that in the great commandment we're not about Jesus and his fame and his glory and his gospel for about those other things speaking of fame value if that's what you value, and fame, then all of our time and all of our energy is going to do whatever it is that's going to get you to bring praise from people. So people know you, so people look at you, so people think about you, rather than pointing them to God. If you value power, then you're going to strive your best to climb the ladder and step on anybody you can instead of being the servant that Jesus has called us to be. 
A simple way, again, to know your heart's values is examine where your money goes and where your time goes. So I have a question for you. What do you spend your money on? I know it's one of those subjects in church that everybody goes, oh, you can't say that in church. I just did. Where do you, what do you spend your money on? What do you spend your time on? If I were to say, let's sit down, I would say checkbook registry, but about half of the population doesn't have any idea what that is. So I, I will say, um, if I were to sit down and read your bank statements, and we looked at your credit card statements together, and then we looked at your calendar, I will guarantee I could tell you what you value. I could guarantee it. So where do you spend your money? And where do you spend your time? The location of your treasure reveals your heart. See, one of the basic fundamental truths of the Christian faith is that our heart belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 and 1 Corinthians 7.23 remind us that we were bought with a price. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul says this starting in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Because we've been given that message of reconciliation, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This table reminds us of that fact. This table reminds us that God created us, that he redeemed us in Christ, and that he purchased us with his blood for our sins. He, he, he poured out his blood for our sins. We are his. We can't miss that fact. We are not our own. We are his. And as a follower of Christ, to love anyone or anything more than Jesus, I'm going to say it, is spiritual adultery. If you loved your spouse less than somebody else on this planet or somebody else more than your spouse and you showed that devotion to them rather than your spouse, it's adultery. Jesus has already talked about it. To lust in the heart, to chase after that other thing, to pursue after that other thing. He says that is where we find ourselves. We are his. Matthew 13, 44, Jesus gives a parable. A one-verse parable. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field that man found and reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Why did he sell everything he had for that field? Because he found a treasure worth giving all for. You know what that treasure is in that parable? The kingdom of heaven. That treasure is Jesus. We have to remember that as we continue to live. That is where we find ourselves. That should be the treasure that is found in our hearts as believers. Something we're willing to give everything for. D.A. Carson, he puts it this way. He said, it's a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporal. But maybe you've heard this quote before too from a guy by the name of Jim Elliott who was a missionary who gave his life on the mission field. He wrote this in his journal before he ever went on the mission field, October 28, 1949. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot 
lose. Where are we living? Where is your heart's treasure? What are you chasing after? Jesus talks about the heart first and then he moves to the soul by saying this in verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? This isn't the first time that Jesus has used a light and dark analogy to point out what we love. As a matter of fact, you go over to John chapter 3, most people are like, no, you know verse 16, but they don't know 17, 18, 19 through 21. So I'm going to share with you 19 through 21 really quick when it says this. This is the judgment starting in verse 19. The light has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. The basic principles of light and darkness in the Bible are clear. But what does Jesus talk about in our passage back in Matthew chapter 6? What's he talking about specifically? Well, he makes this statement. The eye is the lamp of the body. Just like a window lets light into your house, the eye lets light into the body. The eye lets light into the body and it lets the truth into the body as we saw there that the, those who live by the truth come to the light. If that eye is healthy, the truth comes in. So what does it mean to have a healthy eye? Well, lots of commentators have said lots of things about this. As I was reading, I went, okay, I have to pick one. So I picked the one that seemed to fit the context the best, appropriate for what Jesus is talking about and what that was that Jesus is talking about is focus. Where is your focus? See, a good, healthy eye has a singular focus. It's not suffering from double vision. Or if you go to the book of James, and he talks about a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It's not double-minded. It is not double vision. It's somebody who is not serving two masters, as Jesus will talk about here shortly. A good eye is focused on God. A good eye is focused and fixed on Jesus. Now, if I said fixed on Jesus, what words come to mind right after that from the book of Hebrews? the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is focused on that as we run this race, as we live this good life, it is fixed on Jesus. We cannot focus on two things at once. That's just the truth of the matter. Try. Try and focus on two things at once and you will get blurry on one or the other. That is where we live. We can't focus on both God's will and our will. We can't focus on both God's glory and our glory. We can't focus on both God's desires and our desires. One will win out over the other. One will win out over the other. If you are on a diet and you know what you can't eat and you know that something that you can't eat is a big fatty burger from Carl's Jr. You can't go hang out at Carl's Jr. and go, you know, I'm just going to get a salad. Because it's not going to happen. It's the draw of a double western bacon cheeseburger is going to pull you in. And your focus is going to be there versus the chicken salad sandwich and a bottle of water. It's going to do that to you. And we tend to do that the same with God. We have to keep our eyes on the prize. There is one treasure, one kingdom, and one master, and we can't be distracted by anything else. We can't lose focus. That's what the good eye letting the light into the body means. He's a light to our life, isn't he? 
He's the, the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. He's the one that is bringing it in. That is the good eye. But what if we have a bad eye? Well, it says our body is full of darkness. And it says those who love the darkness hate the light. If our eye is bad, it will literally change the way we see the world and the way that we react to the world. Can I just toss out an honest question here I want you to think about? In the like last three years or so, has there been a little bit of bitterness maybe in you towards other people who didn't think the same way as you did? And in that, was there just a little bit of darkness that caused you to not see the world that Christ, the way that Christ wanted you to see the world? Because I know it did for me. I know there was times where I'm like, I'm off Instagram, I'm off Facebook because I hate everybody. Because everybody's mean and I'm one of those everybody. That's where I was at. I, I look at this and I see that, that bad darkness influenced my perspective on life, my priorities, what I valued, what I, what I wanted to live for was influenced by that darkness. A bad eye will not see things the way they're supposed to be. You'll have a skewed perspective. You'll have a worldly perspective. You'll deceive yourself into thinking what you're doing is right because you can't see or refuse to see where you're wrong. That's why being a part of a Bible-believing church is so important because there's accountability. When you are seeing things wrong, somebody will talk to you or should if you're a part of the body of Christ. And that's the reason why church membership is important. I said we were going to have a church membership in two weeks. If you're not a member of the church, I, I would love for you to come and at least hear why we do what we do. But accountability is so important, especially in this world where we can get skewed so easily. And when that darkened thinking takes over, listen to what Jesus says is the last part of that verse. He says, so if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? The message commentary writes it this way. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Those are painful words. Because I truly believe if we soak up all that the world has to offer, we will not have any room for anything that actually matters. For the life that we should actually live. So what Jesus says so far, he's like the mark of the disciple has a heart for things of heaven. It has an eye for the single focus of the things of heaven. But then the third point of this mark of a disciple, he says, serve God. Serve God. No one can serve two masters, verse 24, since either he will hate one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Bottom line truth. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two two masters. John Piper put in his commentary on this passage, he said this, there's something about God and money that makes them tend to mastery. Either you are mastered by money and therefore ignore God or make him a bellhop for your business or you are mastered by God and make money a servant of the kingdom. But if either tries to master you while you are mastered by the other, you will hate it and despise it. This is why Jesus said it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Much money makes a cruel master. No one can serve two masters. A slave can only serve one master. And I do want you to see what Jesus is implying here, by the way, because sometimes we miss it, that we are slaves. 
We are slaves to something. We are not our own. We're either slaves to God or we're slaves to the world. Who or what is your master? Because Jesus says he states, you're going to show love and devotion to one master while hating and despising the other. Divided loyalty is not possible in the kingdom of heaven. But yet we try far too often. We either live for God as the Lord of our life or we live for the, the world as the Lord of our life. We can't choose both because they don't work together. They don't work together. They, they, they won't share equally. You cannot submit to two kingdoms you cannot submit to two kings of opposing kingdoms. You can't obey two different commanders of two different armies. You, you can't worship two gods and you can't serve two masters. And the crazy thing is, is Jesus throws in this, this little bit at the end that just kind of catches us off guard because he says, hey, you know what the number one challenge of another god is going to be in your life? Money. Or if you have King Jimmy, it's mammon. And I actually like the mammon word better because it means either wealth or material gain or something in which we put our trust and confidence in. You can't serve God and then something else that we put our trust and confidence in, which is generally money. We can't serve both because one will win over the other and then they will win over you. See, the issue isn't found in what we have because really we can have both in this life. I'm not saying we have to be poor and destitute if we, if we follow God. But the thing is, is what controls you. Who is your master? Who do you bow down to? If you live for God, you cannot live for money. If you live for money, you cannot live for God. Jesus understood that. He understood we have this limited amount of devotion that we can give. We have this limited amount of love that we can give. We have a limited amount of, of service that we can give. He says, who are you giving it to? You have to choose. Goes back to when we were saying, you, you have to choose. He lays it down with the right now. Joshua 24, 15, probably a verse that some of you have hanging on the wall in your house. I know it hangs right above our TV, which is sometimes a little too kicking the, kick the gut because I'm watching something on TV that I'm somewhat worshiping and it says across the top there, it says, today, I will choose to serve the Lord. You can choose who you want to serve, but today is the day that we will choose in this house to serve the Lord. Now, that's not the exact paraphrase of it all, but that's the Matt Sellers version. As it says that, though, who do we choose to serve? Who do we choose to serve? You can only give your life and soul to one. As a matter of fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 16, verse 24. He said this to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? And maybe you grew up with the NIV version that said loses his soul. Or what will it anyone give in exchange for his life or his soul? See, if we desire to live the good life that Jesus offers, we have to lay down our desires to be rich in this life. We have to lay it down. Listen to the words that Paul gives to Timothy in his first letter to him. It says this in 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth. By the way, has your wealth done well for you? I got my retirement uh, quarterly report this week. I wasn't happy. It says, 
set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but instead we set our hope on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share. Storing up treasures for themselves is a good foundation for the coming age so they may take hold of what is truly life. Living the good life. That's what we've been talking about for the past three months. Living the good life. Take hold of what is truly life. Where are we investing our time? Where are we investing our energy? Where are we investing our resources? Where are we investing our finances? Really, where are you investing your life? Jesus set us an example by walking this earth. He came to live the perfect life and die the perfect sacrificial death because we couldn't get to heaven on our own. But he also set us an example on how we could walk in the light because we were walking in darkness and we were loving the darkness. Maybe you remember that song. There's another one that came on yesterday while we were listening to Caleb. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. Open my eyes and you let me see. That's why he came. Today we wrap up and we come to the table because we remember what Christ did for us so that we could live with him and we could live for him. I had this thought at three o'clock in the morning when the lightning flashed in the bedroom window and I sat there awake thinking about my message. But I, I, I wrote this down just because I knew I'd forget it when I woke up in the morning. But we mu- must remember that Jesus didn't come to give his life so I could waste mine. How often are we just wasting time? I love how Rick Warren puts it. He said, killing time is suicide. Because we only have so much. Let's read the words that Paul records in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 26, that he wrote to the church at Corinth. As he wanted to challenge them to remember why they do what they do, and why they live the way they live. He said this in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On that night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this, or take this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper he said, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today we're going to close with communion. And we do it just a little bit differently. We don't pass the plates. Um, if you are not a member here, I'm okay with that. The way we do our table is if you're a follower of Jesus. Because on that first night that the the communion was instituted, there were no members of any churches. They were just followers of his. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're more than welcome to come during our last two songs. I'm going to pray. And you can come. You can not come. If you feel like you're not in a place to do it, that's that's okay too. This is between you and God. But as you do, I'm going to ask you to take the cup, take the bread back to your seat. And just thank God for what he's done. Remember what he's done. Confess the sins of where you've chosen to live for yourself and ask for forgiveness and ask for strength to live for him. If you are are worried about COVID, we have the individual packets. Otherwise, you can take one of the 
one of the regular ones from many years ago. Not that that's from many years ago, because that'd be weird. Because it'd be real wine, and we'd have to do a non-Baptist thing. But <laughs> here's what I want you guys to do. I, I really, truly want you guys to focus on God and, and ask Him to give you the strength to live for Him. Because He came and lived and died and raised again for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today again. And thank you for this message that challenged my heart all week long and will continue to challenge my heart day in and day out. God, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste the gifts that you have given me. I don't want to waste the ability and the time that you've given me. I don't want to waste the finances and resources that you've given me. Help me to focus on you. And it starts foundationally right here by what you've done for us because you loved us that much to send your one and only son so that we could have eternal life, but not just eternal life in the future, but living that life, that good life in Christ right now. Father, if there's anybody in this room that is struggling with this, I, I pray that you speak to them. I pray that you use this opportunity to change hearts and change minds. pray it in your name. Amen.